Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast Special Edition New Head Coaches Super Bowl 36 Look Back. With me on the line is Ryan Whitfield, Senior Staff Writer. My name is Hakun Wong. I'm the Editor in Chief of Football Garbage Time. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Are you coping with the offseason so far? Ryan, are you uh, are you there? All right, it looks like we're running into some technical difficulties, so I'm going to try this again. Hold on a second, Ryan. We're going to get you on here yet. Hey, how we doing? All right, we're back. Excellent. Look at that. Now, well, what is this show if it isn't just a bunch of technical difficulties? That's what we we wouldn't be a complete show <laughs> if we didn't have problems so far. Yeah, I think everybody expected now. What can what can be the misfire? Tune in next week. Find out how we misfire next week. It's gonna be fun, guys. All right. So, how are you dealing with the off season? You are you coping all right? Yeah. Um, as I was saying while well, muted before, um, I think uh, you know, I think for football nerds like yourself and me, um, that this this time of year is almost more exciting than the regular season um, to, to some degree. So I, I love getting ready, doing uh, looking at free agent lists. Um, you know, franchise the franchise tag period started today. Yeah. Um, and starting yep. to do some draft preview stuff. You know, um, yep. I, I love the whole team building aspect of, of, of you know the team. So this is uh, this is one of the best best times of the year for me. So I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's uh, it's not that bad. Uh, also, because of the fact the Patriots are world champs at least for another couple months until we get to the next uh, Super Bowl. So you got that going for you as well, I assume. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it's not just the offseason that's got you going. But we got a lot to talk about today. We got uh, new head coaches all across the NFL. We're going to talk about each of them. And then we're going to have a nice special look back from this point forward when the offseason. We're going to do a little bit of a historical digging, a little bit of history lesson for all you folks out there. And what better place to start than Super Bowl 36, the New England Patriots' first Super Bowl. So we're going to talk about that as well. But first of all, let's just go in with the new head coaches. Okay, so there's been lots of new head coaches in the NFL this season so far, and we're going to take all of them in turn, including with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Denver Broncos, Buffalo Bills, Los Angeles Rams, Los Angeles Chargers. I'm still having a hard time saying that. And the San Francisco 49ers. Well, let's get started first with the Jacksonville Jaguars and their hiring of Doug Marone. Doug Marone is, uh, the, and also they're, they're bringing in of Tom Coughlin, uh, let's not forget, who is now going to be that new executive vice president. Tom Coughlin, by the way, the only head coach, head coach in franchise history to have a winning record down in Jacksonville, so that's something. Doug Marone uh, himself has a long history. He actually coached in Syracuse from 2009 to 2012 was relatively successful there. He was also the Bills head coach in 2013 and 2014, and uh, including the Buffalo's uh, first winning season in 10 years. That was in 2014. Uh, and then he became uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line coach and assistant coach for offense before the 2015 season. And now here he is uh, joining the Jacksonville Jaguars as their head coach. So tell me, what are your thoughts, uh, Ryan, about this hiring of Doug Marone, you know, kind of elevating him to the head coaching position and bringing in Tom Coughlin uh, as their executive vice president? 
You know, I, I like the I like the Tom Coughlin move. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a longtime uh, Coughlin fan from uh, you know his days back at uh, BC in the early '90s. Um, you know, his his stint with Jacksonville, um, he, he was great. And then obviously everyone knows about the two Super Bowls in uh, in New York. So um, you know, I right. think you know the thing I would be I'd be worried about is that you know typically. Or no, I guess not typically, but, you know, the big example I can think of of, of a longtime successful coach, um, and he actually comes from that coaching tree, um, you know, that went to try to be kind of a president or GM is uh, is uh, Bill Parcells, and he was not very right. successful in that role. So, you know, that skill set doesn't always translate. With that said, I think his discipline and his attitude um, just kind of sets a culture and a tone in Jacksonville that they probably haven't had in a long time. Um, so I think that will be good for them. Um his Doug Marone hiring, uh, I think, is trash. Um, I think Doug Marone's a moron. Um, wow. You know, this is a guy. I mean, he, he. You know, you only get two opportunities to coach in the NFL, and he and he voluntarily walked away from the first one to take a step all the way down to an offensive line coach. And then his second stint, he's going to take over the whatever they finished with. You know, less than six win Jaguars last year. Um, you know, you know, you look at you look at you know conversely somebody like Josh McDaniels who is literally biding his time here, waiting for, you know, the optimal uh, opportunity to open up to take a second. Um, you know, because you look at guys like, you know, Rex Ryan or Eric Mangini, you know, guys who really rushed into their second um, opportunity. And, you know, Mangini's never worked again. And I'd be surprised if, you know, um, Rex Ryan ever gets hired again. You just, you have to pick the second opportunity very, very carefully. And, you know, he was in the organization. So maybe, maybe Marone sees some things he can fix with Blake Bortles and get him back to, kind of more how he played, you know, two years ago, although a lot of his stats were accumulated in garbage time. But maybe he sees something he thinks he can fix. And if, and if he sees that, you know, I think that they have enough talent on that roster and they're going to have another high-end draft pick this year. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think there's possibility there. I just don't know that I, I think, you know, I've never been impre- impressed with him as a coach, um, you know, even in his Buffalo days. And I saw him a lot in those Buffalo days. Um, so, you know, I think it's I think it's a pretty underwhelming move from the Jaguars. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty underwhelming. I mean, uh, and going in his favor, he is 1-1, so he has the second-best record of any co- head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, he's at 500 right now. But and, uh, and I guess more to the point, though, I guess with his scheme in place, although he really was kind of running that anyway, Bortles did complete over 64% of his passes in both his starts um, under Morone, uh, of course, and he had only done that once. Uh, under Bradley this season. So, I mean, maybe he has something going, but that's going to be the key. If he can turn Bortles around, and then maybe he can make something happen. But I, I'm not uh, overly enthusiastic. I do really, really do like the Tom Coughlin pickup. I think that will be really good for them. And it's a, and it's a great thing for the fan base as well, seeing as how they were their, he was their first coach and also their wing, winningest coach of all time. All right, let's go ahead and move over to the next head coach we want to talk about, and that is Vance Joseph, who is now uh, the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh, after Gary Kubiak uh, stepped away because of health reasons, they went on and decided to find somebody else new. Uh, this is actually going to be the start of a trend here because Vance Joseph is only 44 years old. There's, a, there's definitely a youth revolution going on with head coaching. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, the Broncos actually have been looking at Vance Joseph for a while. They actually interviewed him back when they got Gary Kubiak. If Kubiak had not become available, he might have already become their head coach. He's a former University of Colorado player and assistant coach. Uh, he was on Kubiak staff at the Houston Texans as a defensive backs coach and uh, was the defensive backs coach for the Cincinnati Bengals for three seasons. 
before he was hired uh, by uh, former offensive coordinator Adam Gase uh, for defense, to be the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins and was very successful this season with that. So tell me, what are your thoughts with uh, Vance Joseph going to the Denver Broncos? Um, you know, you just noted the youth movement in the NFL um, at the head coaching position, you know, and, and there's definitely been a movement on that. Um, the unfortunate part is that every single one of them suck, um, including Vance <laughs> Joseph. Wow. You just said you just said he had a, you just said he had a good year in Miami. What, what Miami defense were you watching? I mean, I don't understand how you go you go coach one of the the bottom ten defenses. You, you're a coordinator for one year. Your defense is in the bottom ten in every category except for turnovers. Which, by the way, if you watch NFL Network or, or anyone who covers the Broncos, they'll tell you how much he really turned around that defense because you know he preaches turnovers and they got a lot of turnovers this year. That's I don't understand what, what, what getting two or three turnovers a game does if you're giving up 30 points. This is the same defense. They gave up 28 points to Jimmy Garoppolo in the first half of the freaking uh, game back in September. So I, I'm not buying on Vance Joseph at all. Um, you know, I, and I, I, know, I know the history. I know that he interviewed for the position before Kubiak, um, and, and they really liked him. John um, Elway really, really liked him. If they hadn't got Kubiak the first time around, they would have gone with Vance Joseph. Um, I mean, and, and from all, from all you know, intents and purposes, I've heard that he's really well liked by the players, um, that he's a really good players right. coach, and that you know yeah. he's he's not a not a loud mouth like you know a Rex Ryan or somebody who's brash. He's very very calm and reserved and, and and kind of controlled, which is great. But at the end of the day, you've been a coordinator for one year and your defensive suck. Your defense sucked. You came into a team that's a defense first team, and you fire Wade right. folks who really built that defense and turned that defense into that. And now now it's kind right. of your show there. When, when you have way more to prove than him. So, I don't know. I could see this being a disastrous hiring him out, him out in Denver in two years. Yeah, and keep in mind that uh, Joseph, uh, Vance Joseph was actually on the Texan staff under Wade Phillips in Houston uh, when, uh, when Wade Phillips put together that number two ranked defense in 2011 and number seven ranked defense in 2012. So, it's not like he's going to be any different <laughs> than what you already had. But I think the problem in Denver is actually their offense, not really their defense although that they need to make sure they maintain that. Um, so I don't really understand the hiring as well. Although getting someone new, young, and exciting, maybe, who knows? We, uh, we can pass judgment a little bit later. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with the offseason with their offense, seeing as how he's a defensive-minded coach. All right, let's turn to the next, uh, the next group here. This is the uh, Buffalo Bills, who now picked up Sean McDermott, who is actually 42 years old, so younger than Vance Joseph. So here's another part of the, the youth revolution in head coaching positions in the NFL. Now, uh, uh, Sean McDermott has an interesting background as well. Uh, he's actually going to be changing the defensive scheme with the Bills, um, and, and they're going to probably need a little bit of help there. Uh, he's going to be he's he's actually uh, well one of those guys who. Um, has had a long his has had a, a semi long history uh, working on defensive positions. He was actually uh, with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles as defensive coordinator in uh, 2009 and 2010. Uh, he actually went on to the Panthers and was basically sitting there for six seasons. And that Panthers defense has actually changed dramatically over that time. So I don't know what to make of what he's going to be able to do when he gets over to uh, to Buffalo. But what are your thoughts about the hiring of Sean McDermott? Yeah, this is going to come as a surprise, but uh, sucks. Um, this is another guy who who had a who had a top-notch defense. He loses, you know, basically one player and can't coach up a single defensive back in that in that in that secondary last year. Um, they were cutting right. people halfway through the season. Um, so again, just another guy who uh, you know benefited from having uh, you know a great defensive line 
um, two of the best linebackers in football, and then they had a shutdown corner. And all you had to do was remove the shutdown corner, and the whole thing fell apart. So, um, and you know, there's 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 a you know, and I, I don't know much about him from a cultural standpoint um, or a culture standpoint, but I, I know the character of that of that uh, that uh, Carolina Panthers team, and I think I've been on record very clearly about how I felt about their front running cockiness and showboating, and how it really you know showed up in that Super Bowl two years ago. Um, and I think the Bills have a lot of that, those same kind of players on their team. Um, and, you know, this is a team that two years ago was whining and complaining and not putting in the effort when Rex Ryan was changing their defense. Do so you think these same guys are going to really just adapt on the fly again? No, it's another team where the players run the asylum. Um, and he's going to go in there and there's going to be, you know, I think there's going to be discontent there early on about changing it and guys not wanting to do things they're not used to. Um, and, that's a, and, that's, and, you know, and overall, I just don't think, I don't think they have a shutdown corner in Buffalo and uh, McDermott shown to me, you know, at least to this point, that unless he has that elite number one corner, that his defense is going to be Swiss cheese in the secondary. So I have I very low right. expectations for him in Buffalo. Well, you know, keep in mind that Ryan was running a 34 defense, mostly a 34 defense when he was there. And, and that, and there were a lot of issues there. A lot of defensive players had problems with that they were successful previously under Jim Schwartz 43 system. So he'll at least be bringing back the 43 scheme, which, which should be helpful for them. And, and keep in mind, the Bills are, are really one of the, the gutter teams of the NFL right now. I hate to say this, but they have not made the postseason since 1999 under, who else? Wade Phillips. <laughs> he just keeps coming up. A uh, 17-year drought. That's the longest active streak in the NFL in time for the fifth longest playoff drought in NFL history. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do here. And with Tyrod Taylor kind of hanging in the balance, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. They're keeping their general manager, Doug Whaley, hasn't has been underwhelming over the last couple of years. I, I just don't I just don't see what they're doing over in Buffalo. Um, I'd be surprised if Sean McDermott can get it going, but maybe he can do make some tweaks and at least improve the defense. All right. Yeah, you know Let's the thing I say. To, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go no, ahead. the thing I want to touch on quickly. You know, the thing I say when I'm trolling Buffalo Bills fans on uh, Instagram on a weekly basis. You know, it's a it's a pretty sad state when you say you miss the Rob Johnson and Doug Flutie days. <laughs> right, I know. Well, you know, they, that's all. That's one. That's all you got. That's all you got. You know. All right. So <laughs> let's get. Let's get younger. Let's get younger. Let's get to Sean McVay, being hired as the youngest head coach uh, since uh, Art Pappy Lewis of the Cleveland Rams took the job in 1938 at 27 years old. That's according to ESPN stats and information. McVay is 31 years old. Just turned 31 at the end of January. Uh, wow. He is the new head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, he has a five-year deal with them. He has a very short history, actually, obviously. But he, he began his career as an assistant wide receivers coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2008. He left and was a receivers coach in the United Football League, now defunct. And then 2009, joined the Redskins in 2010, moved from an assistant coach on the tight ends area to being an offensive coordinator. I don't know. I'm not sure what to expect here, but this is definitely a shocking move. He did manage to, uh, to bring in um, a little bit of help. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit scared about what's going to happen with McVay. And, of course, the help he brought in was Wade Phillips as his offensive coordinator. There he is again. Wade Phillips was just everywhere. So tell me, what are your thoughts about Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams? Yeah, so a little bit of a theme here. Sucks. Um, he, he, you know, right. I, I looked at it, you know, I think different than a lot of people. Um, 
I think from a personnel standpoint, if you look um, through the skill positions from top to bottom, that that Redskins uh, team the last two years has had probably, I would say, top five personnel groups. There's not many guys who can roll out four wide receivers, uh, you know, with, with you know Crowder and Doxson, you know, at the, at the lower end, and um, you know, at the higher end, you get Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon, and you have Jordan Reed and uh, Vernon Davis at times last year, and Robert Kelly, and I think Kirk Cousins, um, while he's not a, you know, I'd put him in that tier two class. I don't think he's an elite quarterback, and I don't think you're winning a Super Bowl with him. But I think you can go right. a couple rounds in the postseason. Um, I think he's more than more than serviceable. He's certainly better than an Alex Smith. Um, you know, or guys of that ilk who have made it, you know, a couple rounds deep into the playoffs. So I think they've actually underachieved in Washington under under him. Um, so yeah, oh, wow. for that, and now oh. he's going to go to a team whose skill positions um, are filled out by the likes of Tavon Austin and Kenny Britt. Oh, I'm pretty sure. I think I think Kenny Britt's a UFA, which I mean, it's sad to say, but that's actually going to hurt the Rams this year um, losing right. Kenny Britt. So the, you know, you're going you're going from a you know, a, and a quarterback who I believe in more in, in Cousins than I believe in, uh, oh God, I'm drawing a blank now, a Goff, instead of Goff in, in yep, L.A. Yeah, Goff. Um, yep. so, so I think I think he's stepping way down talent-wise. I don't think he's, you know, I'm not an ageist, um, but I don't think, you know, I think 40-year-olds are is a good age um, for, to be the younger side of head coaching, and really I think you should be in your 50s. You have to, you have to control so many things and run so many different things. Um, you know, manage both all, all your coaches and players and personnel, and while be making adjustments on the fly, managing the game clock. Although Andy Reid's made a career on not knowing how to manage the game clock, so I guess you don't always have to right. know how to manage the game clock. Um, but you know, there's so much going on, and at 31 years old, I just think he's going to be so overwhelmed, and this this has disaster written all over it. Yeah, well, you know, it's going to be really interesting because you know, quite frankly, we can all agree that he's better than who they had before. Uh, the, the person who will not be named here. And he does have Wade Phillips on defense, so who knows? He gets a little bit of a veteran presence there. All right, let's keep it moving. Next pickup is Anthony Lynn joins the San Diego Chargers as, his, as their new head coach. He's 48 years old. He has an interesting background as well. He actually played football at Texas Tech, spent six seasons in the NFL, and then had several stops in uh, Denver Broncos, 49ers, so on. He was actually a running backs coach in the league for most of his time with the Jaguars, Cowboys, Browns, Jets, before landing in Buffalo. And, of course, he was in Buffalo under, uh, under uh, Rex Ryan. He took over for the offense once uh, Rex Ryan fired uh, Cord OC Greg Roman and then took over for Ryan when he was let go. And now he has his own head coaching position. What do you think about this pickup uh, by the Los Angeles Chargers? Yes, I'm going to throw a curveball now. Uh, this is the one I actually like. Um, wow. I, I've, I've, been ve- I've been very impressed with him um, so far, the way he's carried himself. I thought, you know, particularly last year um, when he took over the offense, I thought given the weapons he had, um, you know, I thought he was, he was pretty creative with it. Um, I, thought, I thought his play calling was, was a little bit more exotic. And, you know, I think – I think there were some games that he showed up and he had a really brilliant game plan down the stretch. And um, so I, so I like it. Um, and then you, you, know, mm-hmm. you look, you know, the kind of opposite of what I just said about um, McAvoy or McAvoy is that, you know, he's, he's, he's stepping into a position where he's actually getting a severe upgrade in talent. Um, you know, right. I know, I know he's aging, but you have Phillip rivers, um, you know, yeah. by all, by all accounts, it looks like Danny Wood has ahead of schedule to come back. Um, if Keenan yep. Allen can make it through a single season in his career, 
Um, and then you look yep, at the emergence of some of the guys like Inman down the stretch last yep. year for the San Diego. Um, you know, I you know I like and you know Hunter Henry. I I like what they put yep. together there. Um, and I think I think he can have a successful two years. Um, you know, he better get moving quickly on finding Rivers replacement because that ends coming soon. But um, yep. You know, I think he can be successful there. So I like that. I like that hire. Yep. All right. Well, that's well, that's one. Well, put one on the positive side. I thought you were gonna poo-poo all of them. Now we're gonna turn the one that actually is gonna be really interesting. I'm gonna be really interested to hear what you have to say about him because he really impacted you personally in the last Super Bowl. The 49ers pick up Kyle Shanahan, 37 years old, as their head coach. They gave him a six-year deal, which matches their new general manager John Lynch's six years. So they are obviously looking for a turnaround. He's obviously been under fire because of his play calling in the second half of said Super Bowl. He, uh, his background really uh, was um, as a position coach in 2006 with the Houston Texans, uh, where he coached receivers, and uh, two years later was promoted to be the youngest offensive coordinator in the league. Um, he spent um, nine years as a coordinator with stops in Houston, Cleveland, Washington, and Atlanta. And, of course, he, uh, he uh, has been very successful in Atlanta this past season up until the last half of games. Tell me, what do you think about Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers? You know, I, I, I think it's going to go one or two ways. I'll, I'll, say, uh, I'll say on Shanahan um, that I, I, think, I think he's a good football mind. Um, I think he loves the sport. I, you know, from all, all reports you hear is that he's one of the hardest working guys in the industry. Um, so I think all that points to, to good, good news for him. And typically in football, unless your last name is Schottenheimer or, uh, or Ryan, um, typically being a, you know, an NFL legacy um, plays in your favor. Yeah. So I think growing yeah, up around yeah. the game will actually will benefit him. Um, it comes down right. to, and I think I touched on the podcast last week, a loss like that in the Super Bowl um, two weeks ago, it, it goes one of two ways. It either destroys you or it makes you tougher and you learn from it. I, and so I can't answer that right now. So we'll, we'll see what it does for Shanahan. Um, if he learns from it and gets better at managing, you know, the game, because that'll be a huge part of what he's doing as the as the head coach. I think it'll serve right. him well. Um, but if it's in his head now and he can't ever, you know, he's a mental midget because of it, then you know it's going to go the other way. So I believe in him as a coach. It just what we're going to see what the mental toughness is now. Yeah, and I think a lot of things depend on who he decides to pick as his uh, franchise quarterback. It's obviously not going to be anybody on the roster right now. He's obviously going to draft somebody uh, sitting at the second spot of the NFL draft. Could be Trubisky, could be Deshaun Watson, who knows. But that's going to really define his legacy, I think, what he does at the quarterback position there. And if he can make another Matt Ryan out in the West Coast. All right, let's ring the bell because we got something interesting to talk about. And then we're going to talk about our historical segment. And we're going to be doing this every week talking about a historical Super Bowl, and what better Super Bowl to start with than Super Bowl 36, February 3rd, 2002, New England Patriots' first Super Bowl win as they beat the St. Louis Rams 20-17 on Adam Vinatieri's 48-yard field goal as time expired. Name of the, the, the theme of the game, turnovers. The Rams totally outgained the Patriots, 427 to 267 total yards. But the Patriots forced three turnovers, which resulted in 17 points. So I'm going to ask you right now, tell me what, to you, stood out from that first Super Bowl win for the New England Patriots, both on the Patriots side and on the Rams side. Yeah, on the Patriots side, um, yeah, I touched on this in the article I put up on the site the other day. You know, they were 14-point underdogs, and a lot of people, um, you know, wrote that that team was ahead of schedule. 
that team had a lot of high-end draft picks on it, you know, um, that had underperformed under Pete Carroll. Um, Pete Carroll's rah-rah, you know, Harry High School stuff really works on the West Coast, you know, with your surfer cultures out there. Um, yeah, just uh, took a shot at the whole West Coast. But uh, on the East Coast, that stuff doesn't really fly. Nice. Um, guys like Willie, guys like Willie McGinnis had checked out. Guys like Ted Johnson right. and Ted Bruschi, they were just they were they were Parcells guys, um, and so they didn't really adapt to that. But you know, you had Ty Law and Otis Smith and Lloyd Malloy on that team. Um, oh, yep. And like I said, Bruschi, Ted Johnson, Willie McGinnis on the line. You know, they, they brought in a lot of ex Jets players. Um, from the, from those '90s Jets teams with the, with the Brian Coxes and and Bobby Hamilton, so that that team was loaded. Um, the offense, you know, was a little bit undermanned or younger, but you know, David Patton was there for all four, all three Super Bowls. Troy Brown was there for all three Super Bowls. Antoine Smith was there for two of the Super Bowls. So a lot of the key pieces were already in um, in play by that point. Obviously, Tom Brady's emergence. So um, right, on the right. Patriots side. You know, I think it was a genius game plan. They came out and they just they just beat the crap out of out of the Rams on, on the on, on offensive plays. Um, yeah. Obviously, the most iconic play aside from the kick is my favorite play. I wore 24 growing up in every year of Pop Warner because of Ty Law. Um, his pick yeah. down the sideline, which um, yeah. you know I didn't expect him to get in this year. But if you don't think that Ty Law deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, um, then then you're 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 an idiot. Um, he was he was clutcher than clutch. Um, and, you know, that he had a great day that day. And, you know, the Patriots, as close as it was at the end and as much as the yardage was there, um, had it not been for the Willie McGinnis holding on the on the yeah. strip inside the five, yeah. um, the, the Patriots could have won story. that by a three-possession game. Yeah, so it was, you know, that play, you know, it looked like all of a sudden the Patriots were up 24-3 uh, to three and you thought it was over, or 24-7 uh, to seven, you thought it was over. But, uh, you know, the, that, that play gets, you know, called back, and rightfully so, because uh, McGinnis absolutely mugged. Uh, Marshall Falk on that play, um, but yeah, it was you know. And then on the on the other side, you know, I thought I thought I thought there was a, you know for for a dome soft um, greatest show on turf team being down seventeen to three, um, you know, it was a great comeback and you know show, showed a lot of heart. Um, and in both Super Bowls, Ricky uh, in the one and 3 Super Bowl, Ricky Prohl caught the game tying touchdown twice. So for a pretty no name guy who's the receivers coach in Carolina now, he was a, a thorn in the side of the Patriots early in their dynasty. Right, right. But he did also have that key fumble that led to a uh, Tom Brady's eight-yard touchdown, David Patton, uh, in the beginning of the, the beginning in the first half. So you know, they, he he also had a little bit of a, a downside to him as well. But you know, I have to say one thing I was really impressed by, uh, aside from the Patriots and the emergence of the Patriots and the fact they caused all those turnovers, which is actually a very different look than what they are today, uh, is the fact that the uh, the Kurt Warner. I mean, he's just um, you know he's just great because the type the. The, the interceptions that he threw really weren't on him. One of them was Torrey Holt slipping. No, I really don't think that was something that was, uh, you know, was him. I think that the Ty Law interception was really was on him. I mean, he really just stepped out in front of Isaac Bruce, and that was well, just a brilliant play, just a brilliant read of the play. But ultimately, I, I have to say, I really do like Kurt Warner, and that was, uh, and, and I, I kind of wish uh, that he actually had another one before he managed to be retired from uh, his career, maybe with the Cardinals or something. But he was definitely one of the best. Had such a great story, too, being a grocery bagger and all that other stuff. But, yeah, it was very memorable, very memorable. And I can tell you, probably one of the uh, last times that I rooted for the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we, we, we talk about that a lot here in Boston. Um, yeah, how much has changed from that? Did that? That that night that, you know, people were, were diehard rooting for the Patriots, 
Um, and you know, to go from that, and we were the you know the lovable uh, underdogs to, to how much oh, we yeah. all hate us now is uh, it's, a, it's a pretty <laughs> miraculous turnaround. But uh, yeah, I mean, on that on that just to touch on that on that interception too, the Ty Law, um, yeah. I think it was Rabel who roughed off the edge. It was either Rabel or McGinnis who uh, actually gets a hand on Kurt Warner. But he had no business throwing that ball, and he threw it off his back foot. And if you watch the right. replay, which I've watched it, you know, only about 10,000 times in my lifetime, um, <laughs> what an absolute embarrassing effort by Isaac Bruce. Did not fight I back know, for the ball, man. made no attempt to catch Ty Law. He basically right. jogged out of bounds and took his helmet off and sat on the bench and before Ty Law even hit the end zone. So, um, yeah, you know, terrible. Isaac Bruce was always a great player, but him and Torrey Holt were always a little bit soft. And uh, I think that play kind of embodied, you know, the, the, the fast-paced dome team. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, and I can say this. Let me just say one more thing about the Patriots. I, I like to take jabs at you guys for turning the corner and being awesome now and being like the hate, the most hated team in the country, but I I aspire to that, okay? Like, I, you know, like my Cubs won the World Series. I hope that they end up being a dynasty like the Patriots have become a dynasty, <laughs> and then you can hate on the Cubs for their – I'm perfectly happy to take that hate if I can get that, so don't get me wrong. This is all because of envy. This is not this is because I'm jealous of the Patriots, not because I actually hate them. All right, we're at the end of our show, and we're going to cover more historical Super Bowls next week and more NFL news, franchise tag, free agency, the combine coming up, the draft, all sorts of information. Stick with us. Ryan, give them your Twitter account so they can follow you. Yep, at Ryan Whitfield and all right, and you can follow me at FB Garbage Time, and uh, keep it tuned in all season long. We're going to be here all off season and talking to you about all sorts of stuff, and we're going to give you a nice history lesson every week as well, just like we did today. Until next time, enjoy the rest of your NFL week.